0: Today we're going to be looking at uh, a long passage of Scripture. You see up there on the, uh, on the PowerPoint um, three, three and a half chapters um, that we're covering this morning. And, and I know most of you are thinking... Dude, you don't get through like three verses in less than 40 or 45 minutes. How are we going to get through uh, three chapters uh, this morning? Well, you know, it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. You don't have plans for the rest of the day anyway. So, um, you know, and I've got to be here for a deacon's meeting at 430. So we're just going to go right on up to a deacon's meeting. Start. Most of our deacons are here. So, you know, just go ahead and uh, buckle up for the ride. Um, we're going to be looking at the, the narrative of Noah, where we left off. Uh, two Sundays ago, just to kind of catch up, was just the depth of corruption within us and how God was sorry that he had made people. That's, that's harsh. That, that, that God was sorry that he had created image bearers because the bent of their heart was continually wicked. It was continually going towards that which is evil, so much so that it noted... Um, I can get my Bible open, it noted there in chapter six, verse five, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now, if you did this, I don't want you to feel bad for it, but don't let your grandkids do this. Cause if you, if you miss this with your kids, you can redeem it with your grandkids, probably the worst picture, the worst theme that you could use for a child's nursery is Noah. You you know, you you use the theme of Noah in a kid's nursery, and there's always those two giraffe heads sticking up out of the top of the boat. They're always smiling and the elephant's going, you know, they're all happy. And everybody looks happy. The story of Noah is not happy. It's not cartoonish. It's it's not really a story of joy. It's a story of God's wrath. This God who it says saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of man was only evil continually, perpetually, day after day, moment after moment, second second after second after second after second after second. So if your kids had Noah in the nursery, don't let your grandkids... Pick like Toy Story or something else. Don't pick David and Goliath either because nobody wants a decapitated giant on their kid's wall over here. But what we're going to do today is we're going to look at the story of Noah in six sections. There is such mastery at the way Moses put this story together at the direction of the Holy Spirit of God to record actual history, but the intervention of God himself into man's history. There is such such brilliance in the way that it is depicted, and so we have six different acts here, and, and, and the acts are like looking at like a script, looking at a playwright or something where you have act one, and this is the scene, and then act two, this is the scene. We're going to look at each of these these scenes together, then come back and, and put them where where God intends for them to go, which is right in our heart, where we can rejoice in him, where we can celebrate who he is, but also be mindful of, of who we are. And so we're going to start verse 13 together and see that it says, the Lord God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms. And you shall cover its inside and out with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark should be 300 cubits and its breadth 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. You shall make for the window of the ark. You shall finish it to to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make with it a lower second and third decks. Behold, I, even I am bringing the flood flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its own kind. Two of every kind will come to you for you to keep them alive as for you. Take for yourself some of all food which is edible and gather it to yourself and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did. According to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Let's pray together. Father, as we look today at your word, we ask you for clarity, for understanding, but Father, for the presence of your spirit to guide us in an understanding of what it means to be your people, what it means to live under your covenant, and what it means to know the grace that you have offered us in Jesus Christ. Father, lead us, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we get to this passage of Scripture, and we're going to have to move a little quickly because, as as I said, we've got three and a half chapters that we're going to cover today. And and, and all of it really comes down to these first few verses in chapter 6. So so we're going to look at all six scenes through these few chapters, but then we're going to spend some time focusing on this part of chapter 6 because the full message of Noah comes out right here. But he finds first that there is a destruction that is foretold. That's Act 1. Destruction is foretold told God comes to Noah because it was said that Noah was the one that walked with God look with me if you will just a few verses ahead uh, a few verses uh, before in verse 8 of chapter 6 it says but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord we've already seen that okay the thought of everybody was evil continually and it was full of violence and needed to be destroyed but Noah verse 8 says that he found favor with the Lord Verse 9 says, these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. In a world of corruption, in a world of deceit, in a world of despair, in a world of wickedness, there was one that stood out because his walk was not like the way of the world. His walk was like the way of God. His walk was a walk of righteousness. And it was to this man that God said, I'm getting ready to kill them all. I'm going to wipe it out. I am going to destroy the world. It's not a pretty picture. It's a picture of violence. It's a picture of deceit. It's a picture of cheating. It's a picture of scandal. It's a picture of a world that thinks it can do better than the God who made them. So everyone is after Their own way. It does not sound unlike the world where you and I live. It does not sound like the streets where you and I grew up. It does not sound like the nation that you and I may hold dear. But it says here in this passage of scripture that God comes to Noah. And it says in verse 13, the end of all flesh has come. There is an ultimate destruction that God is painting for Noah here. Oh, man. I, I'm trying to, I don't know what Noah really did for a living, but I'm just picture him out with his boys. Um, they probably weren't playing cats, but they might have been playing like, you know, wrestle the sheep or something like that and saying who could be like the, 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 the chief sheep, rest, chief sheep rest wrestler of their day. And they're out there, and I can just see them playing. And, and, and all of a sudden, God comes to Noah and, and, and it's something that is completely unlike anything Noah has experienced. Now, I want you to picture for yourself that you're Noah. And the voice of God, as clear as day, comes to you and says, everything is going to be wiped out completely. Everything. The end of all flesh. I'm going to make the flood waters rise up. This is all brand new, baffling information. We've got some pictures of some floods, right? Some of you can remember when South and Central Georgia flooded in 1994 during Hurricane or Tropical Storm Albert, whatever his name was, that came up and flooded Macon all the way down to Albany. You've seen pictures of the flooding in 2005 in in, in New Orleans with Hurricane Katrina. You've seen pictures of flooding in other parts as storms have come up. And you've seen these, these things, kind of the waters rise, but... But you always see the tops of trees and the tops of houses and people in boats kind of floating around, right? All of these images do not do justice to what God is depicting. He's saying everything will be destroyed. Not able to be rebuilt. There will be no more breath of life furthermore God goes on to say this is how bad it's going to get Noah this this is how bad this flood is going to be this destruction is going to be that if you do not take food with you if you do not take animals with you they're not going to survive still trying to figure out why God let cats on the ark but he did because we have cats sorry cat people I'm going to pay for that one I'm sorry but he says, verse 17, Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall perish. It's, it's not, a, not a pretty picture. It's not at all a happy scene. And there's Noah in the middle of this, looking at his boys, trying to figure out, what am I going to tell them? What am I going to tell them? Because God, you just told me that I'm building this massive ark. I have no idea what it is, but you just told me what I'm supposed to build. And I'm going to explain to my boys, all three of them, that it's just me and their mama. It's just them and their wives that are getting to go on this. No in-laws, no cousins, no neighbors, no work associates, no friends, nobody. Some of you are thinking about a life without in-laws, and that's not where this is supposed to go. Okay, we just had Thanksgiving. We got Christmas coming. It's just live in it, but it's not a pretty picture. It's not a happy scene because it is destruction. And then we get to chapter 7 and we see this scene of gathering and entering. It says that the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all of your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. That verse, that verse haunts me. And the reason that verse haunts me is because I have to filter that verse through my heart and ask, God, do you see me as righteous in this time? Do you see me as righteous before you in this time? Even if nobody else is? And we come to this question, we come to this first, and we have to ask ourselves: would God have even dared to come to us if He was going to destroy the world and say, You're the one that I'm going to use to make sure that there is a a line of humanity that continues? Noah, you are the only one who was righteous before me. I am coming to you. And he says, You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, male and female, and of the animals that are not clean too, male and his female, also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and for 40 nights, and I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. And again, verse Verse 5 says the same thing as chapter 6, verse 22. Noah did all according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Didn't leave any of it out. Didn't leave a single thing out. And so in this picture, in this scene, we have Noah going around. I had a little game on, on Nintendo. It, it, was, it was a really cheesy game. But the old original Nintendo that had like the four buttons over here, um, it was Bible Adventures. And on Bible Adventures on the Nintendo, there were three different games you could play. Um, there were three different little Bible games you could play. One of them was Shepherd Boy David gathering sheep and trying to save them from the lions. Uh, the, the, the other one was a David and Goliath game. And then there was the third one, which was Noah trying to go around and gather. And you had to control little Noah, and he had to go over here and pick up this lion and carry this lion. But the lion would try to bite him, so you had to grab him just the right way and get him onto the ark. And then you got to go, and you got to grab two cows, and, and two dogs, and two sheep, and two monkeys, and two. Who of everything? It was a terrible, terrible game, but it was fun and so sometimes i have a hard time looking at this passage of scripture not picturing the video game of noah running over here like all right got to get this oh what have you ever tried to herd animals some animals you just can't herd noah I, here he is all right i got to get that snake and get him on the boat how's he going to do that all right oh got to get this alligator oh not, uh, he's going to bite me uh, how am i going to do that Oh, I got to get this bear. Let's wrestle this guy to the ground and get him on the boat. He didn't have tranquilizer darts. This wasn't modern day. That's why we see the hand of God. And he says, God says, <coughs> excuse me, says there in, in verse uh, chapter 6, verse 20, they will come to you for you to keep them alive. That's an important verse because there is no life outside of the direction of God in this narrative. God says, I am sending you into the boat and I am bringing for to you the animals that you are to put on the bird. Are you going to go climb a tree and trap a bird and get him on the boat yourself? He's going to fly through the door because I am directing him. It's just Moses and a few animals that are obeying the voice of God. So he gathers them all and says in verse 6 that Noah was 600 years old. It, any of our senior adults going to be running around building a boat and, and, and gathering? And, and, and all of our senior adults in here have over 500 years to get to where Noah is when this happens. Any hands? Any takers? This is an old, old man that God is using. He says he gathers them. No one, his sons and his wife and his, wife, his sons' wives with them entered the ark because of the water of the flood. And notice with me that God has already separated animals into a couple of classes. Those that are clean and those that are unclean. Those that were fit for food and those that were just going to be for, the, for their protection so that they could repopulate the earth of their kind. They didn't evolve there. They didn't just appear out of nowhere. These were animals that God created on the fifth and sixth day of creation because of his pure and perfect desire to create this world. And so they gather together and they enter. And it says on the very same day, verse 13, Noah, Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind and all the cattle and their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark to Noah to twos of all flesh, and which is the breath of life. And then the flooding happens. The earth floods. It says in verse 17, the flood came upon the earth for 40 days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. All right, so now picture some floods that you've seen. You got it flying out there, and you see the tops of houses and the tops of trees. Notice what happens here. It says, The water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all of the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. Now, it's one thing, and I don't want to take away from anybody that has experienced flooding in their own house or lost property, it's devastating. Even if it's just a couple of feet that come up into your house, they've got to come in and rip out all your floors and cut your sheetrock off and rip out your insulation, all these things. But, but we're talking some serious depth here, right? Anybody off the top of their head know what the tallest mountain in the world is? Mount Everest. Anybody off the top of their head know how tall Mount Everest is? Very. There we go. We've got a winner over here. Mount Everest, over 29,000 feet tall. Pretty tall, right? I wasn't a math major in college, but if a mile is 5,280 feet tall, by the time you go uh, to the top of Mount Everest, you are right at five miles above sea level. Water that deep. I don't care if you watched Evan Almighty or not. Don't get the mistake that it was just this big whoosh of water and it ended before it got to the city. The word of God, the Bible says that all of the earth flooded, that the water prevailed above the heights of the mountains. Folks, there's no escaping this. If you weren't in that ark, you did not survive. No tree no grass, no bird birds can't hover that long. I could see the birds flying up a little higher and a little higher as the water rose, but it gets to the point where they can't fly anymore, the wings give out, and they fall and plummet into the into the sea. The only thing that would have survived any of this are the sea creatures, period. Period. This is not just some sort of localized high water incident. This is not just some sort of localized uh, localized just to the Middle East. And so it was really just the area around Noah that flooded. The word of God says that it prevailed over the entire earth. Period. Not a subset, not a sub-region. The earth flooded. Verse 21 All flesh that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind. All of that was on the dry land and whose nostrils were the breath and the spirit of life died. Thus, verse 23, he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and birds of the sky. And they were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. So magicians and escape artists can train themselves to where they can hold their breath underwater for about seven minutes. In order to escape the chains or the shackle or the box or whatever they've placed themselves in, there's a big difference between seven minutes and 150 days, is there not? This is, this is not good. Furthermore, furthermore, we see evidence of this, and you're like, well, why should I believe? That's just a story in the Bible. Why should I believe? We see evidence, evidence of this in science, right? You're like, well, how do we see evidence of this in science? Because there are species of, the, of animals that you find in parts of South America that the only place that you find their fossils, their bones, whatever, are somewhere in Asia. Like, how in the world did that happen? Well, they floated over there in the flood. As all of this science corroborates this, you're like, well, no, 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 no. We had Pangaea; It was just one big continent and things roamed. No, the Bible tells us the whole earth flooded. And when the floodwaters recede, things drop. We were at my dad's this past week riding around on his little John Deere gator looking at cows and stuff. They had a lot of rain in western North Carolina a few weeks ago. And, And, you know, they're kind of in the mountains and... Dad's farmland is kind of in a little bit of a valley. And there's, there's, there's one main creek that kind of floats through all of, his, all of his land. But then there are like five or six drainage ditches. And he showed me, he said, you know, the water didn't get really high. It was probably only about three feet high because you could see like leaves and trash and some of his fence line. But there was this log, this, this dead tree. It was an old oak tree that fell about a year and a half ago that when, when we were there last Thanksgiving was probably right over here about where the piano was. And when we were here the other day, it was probably right over here where the Mexican flag is. And dad said, I'll give you a hint, that didn't get there by my tractor. See, see that, that log floated and it moved because of the water. Animals and birds and everything that was dying in this flood floated all over the face of these. And as the water came down, there it was deposited and there we have bones and skeletons all over the world. Science corroborates the flood. It upholds the word. It doesn't disprove the word of God. We don't need science to believe the word of God. But sometimes it's kind of cool to see where science actually says, no, that actually probably is what happened. The earth floods. Then it's just a waiting game. Chapter 8 takes us into where they're waiting on this recession of the water. They're waiting. It says, God remembered Noah and all the beasts of the cattle that were with him on the ark. And God caused a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. And you know the story. Noah opened the window of the boat. He, he, he He let a bird out. And the bird, the raven, flew out and we just kind of hovered and didn't find anything. And so a few days later, he lets out a dove. And the, the dove couldn't find a place to rest, even though the, the, the ark itself had landed on the top of a mountain. He couldn't find a place to rest. So he comes back and then like, okay, it's been a few days. We're going to let the bird go out again. So he sends the little messenger pigeon out there and he floats around and he comes back with a holly leaf. Vegetation starting to reappear on God's created world. A few days later, Noah sends the bird out again. He sends the dove out again and it says at the end of 40 days, he opened the window of the ark which he had made, excuse me, sorry. Verse 11, the dove came toward him and behold in her beak was a freshly picked olive leaf so Noah knew that the water had abated from the earth and he waited another seven days and sent out the dove again but she did not return to him. All of this time, the people inside of that ark are remembering something, that it was only because of God's pleasure in them that they were still alive. God had every right. God had every, had, had, didn't owe anybody anything. He had every right to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to wipe them all out and just as easy as I made the first two, I'm going to make some more. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that because he had made a promise to the first ones that there would be coming from them, from the two of them, one that would be a rescuer from them all. for them all. And it wasn't Noah, the one whose name also could be linked to rest. It was the one that would come from this. And so what happens is they come off of this as the water recedes. It says about the 601st year in the first month, on the first of the month, the water dried up from the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold the serpent of the ground was dried up they waited and remembered that God had rescued them that God had saved them that God had preserved them and then then I love the end of chapter 8 chapter 8 gives us this beautiful beautiful picture of worship of, of worship Now, notice with me what it says there It says, God spoke to Noah, verse 15, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and all your sons and wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth. Be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, uh, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. We come into this passage of scripture and we have a man and his family who have been preserved, who have been saved and all they can do at the first time they exit and first time they place their foot back on solid ground and to say, we must worship our God. Salvation brings worship. Worship is the response to having been saved saved having been preserved having been redeemed having been brought out of the destruction into the only life that God could issue They worshiped and they praised God and they praised him and they praised him and he leads them into a time of covenant and blessing notice with me if you will God says, I'll never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I'll never again destroy every living thing as I have done. In verse 9, chapter 9, verse 1 says, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Remember that one? It was the same command he gave Adam, Right? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's intention, God's design was for a populated earth of his image bearers that could know him and enjoy him forever. God's design, God's desire was that those that he created would be able to rejoice in his goodness. So he gives the same command to to these image bearers that are left. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. He says the fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast. I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by by man, his blood shall be shed. For he is the image of God. He made man. But as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. God makes this covenant with man, and he blesses men. Oh, we haven't got to the covenant yet. Let's wait to get to the covenant. And God spoke to Noah, to his sons with him, saying, verse 9, Behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants, with you, after you. With every living creature that is with you, the birds, of the cattle, every beast of the earth, and all the ones that come out of the ark, and even every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood. Neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you, and every living creature that is with you in all successive generations i will set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth it shall come about when i bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud and i will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and never again shall destroy the water excuse me shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh God is making this covenant. I love the way a couple of commentators uh, reflected on this. Um, one, of them, um, one of them was C.H. Um, um, uh, Dodds. And he says, um, Noah accepted as a sign that God had no pleasure in destruction. That he does not give way to moods. That he does not always chide that if weeping may endure for a night, joy is sure to follow. If anyone is under a cloud leading a joyless or heartless life, if anyone has much apparent reason to suppose that God has given him up to catastrophe and lets things run the way they may, there is some satisfaction in reading this natural emblem and recognizing that without the cloud, nay, without the cloud breaking into heavy sweeping rains, there cannot be the bow. And that no cloud of God's sending is permanent, but will one day give place to unclouded joy. That's the covenant. Maybe this commentary will bring some understanding. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible. We've read this with our kids since Braden was about a year old. Uh, for Messy Church, we use these stories um, on, on Sunday nights when we do Messy Church. We've got Messy Christmas coming up um, in just a couple of weeks on December the 16th. Um, so it's a time, generational worship. It, we, we focus on the kids and we have a great time. But it's not just for kids, it's, it's for everyone to come together. But, but in the, the retelling of, of the story of Noah in the Jesus Storybook Bible, There's something that that Sally Lloyd-Jones capitalizes on here. That that was an idea from from a commentator last name, Von Rad. And it says this. There in the clouds, I'll show you the picture. Just where the storm meets the sun was a beautiful bow made of light. It was a new beginning in God's world. It wasn't long before everything went wrong again, but God wasn't surprised. He knew this would happen. That's why... Before the beginning of time, he had another plan, a better plan. A plan not to destroy the world, but to rescue it. A plan to one day send his own son, the rescuer. God's strong anger against hate and sadness and death would come down once more. Not on his people or his world. No. God's war bow was not pointing down at his people it was pointing up into the heart of heaven. The, the bow that's placed out there, it brings to mind the picture of the archer drawing back the bow. And when you draw back the bow, there is destruction at the other end of the arrow, no matter where you are pointing, whether it is to, to, to in, in a hunt or in a war. And if you take the picture of the bow pointing down at at earth and you see God with his fierce anger drawing back the bow and unleashing the floods that destroyed the world. But now he has hung his bow and it is pointing up into his own heart where he would crush his son because he has made the covenant. I will not destroy this earth with this flood again. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Four quick things I want to share with you. First, we've got to understand that sin will always incur the wrath of God. Sin will always incur the wrath of God. Generation after generation after generation perpetuated sinfulness and wickedness and sinfulness and wickedness to where there was only one man who walked with God. And the same lie crept through all of their hearts. We're going to get away with this. That lie, we're going to get away with that lie. That lust, we're going to get away with that lust. That 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 greed, we're going to get away with that greed. That gossip, we're going to get away with that gossip. That anger, we're going to get rid of that anger. That pride that says that I am fine the way that I am. I don't need this. It is going to incur the wrath of God. And the wrath of God does not look the same as it did in the story of Noah. It's not a worldwide sweeping flood, but it comes in and it limits us in who we are. And sometimes I believe that God God does still use natural disaster to purge the certain parts of the earth in their sin. Period. That's not a, that's not a politically correct thing to say. And I know that we can look at natural disaster, but, but there's, you know, there's innocent people there. They weren't the ones that were doing all the wickedness, whatever. But the Bible teaches that it does rain on the righteous as well as the unrighteous together. The fact remains that you and I are continually and perpetually bent towards our sinfulness because we are sons of Adam. Even though we have come to faith in the Redeemer, we still struggle with sin, period. None of us are above sin. None of us are, have the ability to never sin, but we do have the ability to say no to sin if you're in Christ. But sin will always and forever incur the wrath of God. The grand narrative of all of Scripture is not just that God said, I'm going to flood the earth that one time because they were wicked, but I'm going to send my Redeemer, my Rescuer, and all who reject Him will come to a different cataclysmic end where this world is not swallowed up by water, but swallowed up by fire forever. Sin will always incur the wrath of God. Sin will always incur the wrath of God, which brings to mind for me that we must always be wor- must always be aware of our leaning towards sinfulness. Because it's going to you know, growing up, I've never understood how this happened. But, but growing up, if I do something wrong with my friends, My mama always knew about it. I I never could really figure it out. There was this thought that, you know, I'm going to get away with this. Mom's not going to find out. Somehow mama knew. And and the problem with, at least in my house, with, with mama knowing, is that if mama knew, then daddy knew. And if daddy knew, punishment would come. I did not have the luxury of growing up with parents that I could talk out of punishment. I I didn't grow up with the luxury of being able to to, to nickel and dime mom and dad on, you know, whether I was going to get three licks or two licks when I got that spanking, whether it was going to be one week of restriction or just a couple of hours. I didn't have that luxury. I didn't have the luxury of being able to sweet-talk mom into not telling dad so that I wouldn't get the, the hand of punishment. If they found out, whether it was today they found out or next month they found out, we didn't have a statute of limitations in my house. When they found out, the punishment for sin... For my action remained. Sin will always incur the wrath of God. Furthermore, the flood did not change the bent of man's heart. The the flood didn't take away the evil that lurked within. Notice with me what God says Himself in verse 21 of chapter 8. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Translation, you and I are born sinners. You're not born with a clean slate. You're not corrupted by those around you. They can corrupt you, but the sinfulness is already there. But then go on to see what happens. It says in verse 20 of chapter 9, Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. He drank of the vine and became drunk and uncovered himself and lay inside his tent. Ham, the father of Cain, saw the nakedness of his father, went and told his brothers outside, but Shem and Japheth took their garment, laid it upon their shoulders, walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were turned away so they did not see their father's nakedness. Now, I'm not gonna go into all the description and all the meanings of what could have come out of this, but basically what we have is a man who gave himself over to drunkenness and became the laughingstock of one of his sons, and there was shame brought in because the evil intent of our heart was not changed. That was just water. And I'm telling you this now because I cannot remember the number of people that I have talked to that can tell me about when they were baptized but cannot tell me about when they actually knew that Jesus had saved them. It's water. Water, right there. Fulton County, Fairburn, Water. The stuff that you filter before you drink. The stuff you go and you pay you, you pay your water bill at home, but then you go pay your water bill at Walmart or your grocery store to get water that you'll actually drink, right? It's water. I think it came out of the Chattahoochee River. Woo! Water... Baptism is just the outward sign. Being baptized in this baptismal pool in somebody's creek, somebody's lake does not change your heart. Your heart is changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ as the Spirit of God works in you and you become a follower of Christ, period. Just because, just because... Noah and his family was inside the boat did not mean that the evil was taken away from them. It meant that God decided to rescue them in spite of themselves. The flood did not change the bent of a man's heart. It, it didn't change the bent of your heart. Only the gospel can do that. Which is why we need to see that God's covenant is an offer of redemption. Redemption. God's covenant is an offer of redemption. He says there in chapter, in chapter 6, he says, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms. You shall cover its inside and out with pitch. And you go down in the verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall enter the ark you and your sons and your wife and your son's wives with you god is offering to redeem them out of their situation to purchase them out of the life that they were living to set for them to be a new type of person When God makes a covenant with you in Jesus Christ, his offer is to redeem you, to draw you out of the wickedness so that you can be that man or that woman, that child that walks with him in a world that doesn't that walks a different way, that says, I am going to set the righteousness of Christ before everything I do, no matter what the world around me is doing. It is an offer to redeem you, to purchase you and pull you out of the life that you once knew into the life that he is giving you. And this happens one way. One way. We must enter through the door. We must enter through the door. I want you to notice something with me. Look, if you will, in in chapter 6, verse 16. God's giving Noah the design of this ark. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark inside of it. In the side of it. Notice with me that that is a definite article, the, with a singular door. He didn't say set the doors or disperse a few doors out through there. There's no S, it is the door. How were those that were going to be saved in the days of Noah's flood going to be saved if they entered through the door? They weren't out there latching themselves onto the side of the boat. I'm sure there probably were a few stragglers that tried to like kind of rock climb up the side because they saw the waters rising. But you were only saved if you entered through the door. But I want you to notice something a little bit different. Look at your passage of Scripture, chapter 6, verse 16. Look at the door, and look up here on the screen at the door. There's a noticeable difference between this door and this door. The door on the screen is a capital door. Jesus Christ says in the Gospel of John, I am the door. If you want to be redeemed, if you want to experience a new life, if you want to be saved from the wealth, uh, from, from the wealth of wickedness that surrounds you, if you want to walk according to the light of Christ, you've got to enter through the door. You can't attach yourself to a church service. You can't attach yourself to what mom and dad did. You can't attach yourself to the fact that you put some money in the offering plate. You can't attach yourself to the fact that you went through some water. All you can do is go through the door, the man, Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Savior, you must enter through the door.